All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's great to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses, it's just cool to think about Eaglebrookers meeting all throughout the Twin Cities. If you're watching this message online on your computer or device, great to have you with us as well. Hey, before I jump in, we've got a bug going around our staff. And I have one of those jobs where I just have to be here, right? Like, even if my voice is, is shot, uh, there's, there's no other person to give the message this weekend. Uh, Bob had it last weekend when he was speaking. I was fine last weekend. This weekend, he's fine, and I'm uh, not feeling so good, so hopefully my voice will get through this, but uh, just bear with me on that. Uh, we are in the third week of a series called Made for More, because God wants you to know that you have been made for more than just the daily routine of wake up in the morning, go to work or school, run some errands, and watch some TV. He wants you to know why you exist, why God created you and put you on planet Earth in the first place. Why is that, that God made you for more? And we've said that if you want to discover the more that you've been made for, you're going to have to do a couple of things. You're going to have to dream big. You're going to have to find your why. And today's message is titled, Start Small. When I think about starting small, I think about making the bed in the morning. My wife really likes it when I make the bed. She appreciates that. I don't get it. I'll tell her, we're going to be messing this thing up in 15 hours. Well, what's the point of this? But it's important to her, it's also important to her that when I fold the comforter over and make the bed, I actually fold the comforter back so as to expose the small army of throw pillows that sit on our bed and mock me every day. When you talk about made for more, how would you like to be a throw pillow? That's the most meaningless existence ever. I would like to throw away the throw pillows. That's what I would like to do, but my kids need something to hold down their forts. So they stick around for that purpose. But here's what I've discovered. When I make the bed in the morning, even when I don't feel like doing it, I feel disciplined. And when I feel disciplined, I tend to work out. And when I work out, I tend to sleep better. And when I sleep better, I tend to wake up and spend time with God. And when I spend time with God, I'm in a better frame of mind that day. And when I'm in a better frame of mind, I'm more productive. And so I come home happy, kiss my wife. And that's why we have four kids because I made the bed. <laughs> but conversely, I have found that when I don't make the bed, then I don't feel disciplined, and then I end up skipping a workout, and when I don't work out, I don't sleep as well, and when I don't sleep well, I skip my time with God, and when I skip my time with God, I'm not in a very good frame of mind, and when I'm not in a good frame of mind, I'm not productive, so then I have to stay at work late, speed on the way home, and then what if I get pulled over, try to outrun the cop, and my mugshot ends up on the 10 o'clock news? All because I didn't make the bed. So I try to make the bed every morning. Wouldn't you agree that a great life is made up of many small decisions on a daily basis? You know, we tend to think that a great life is made up of a few sudden breakthroughs. And while it may appear that way at times, the reality is those breakthroughs are bracketed by years of just faithfully plugging away. And this is where some people miss out on their purpose in life. They think if they're going to discover their purpose, they're going to have to do something big. So they quit their job. They invest all their money in some new venture. They move to a different country. They do something big. But what if the way to discover your purpose isn't to do something big, but to do something small on a daily basis? See, I want to make the case today that a remarkable life is built by a thousand seemingly unremarkable steps at a time. We live in a culture that tends to celebrate the breakthrough and not the tedious work that leads to the breakthrough. 
But it's in the daily, it's in the tedious that breakthroughs are actually born. I was reading a book by author David McCullough about the Wright brothers. And he points out that it took the Wright brothers several years before they could even get a plane off the ground. Years spent tinkering and experimenting and designing. They spent years trying and failing and trying again, all in a little workshop outside of Dayton, Ohio. They asked their nephew about it later on for this book, and the Wright brothers' nephew said, you know, history was taking place in that workshop. But I never realized it at the time, he said, because it all seems so commonplace. Isn't that how much of life is? You know, great marriages are not just built on moonlit candlelight dates overlooking the Eiffel Tower. They're spent on the commonplace, like making the bed and setting the table and giving a hug after a hard day at work. Great parents aren't just the ones who fly their kids to Fiji for parasailing. Well, I'm sure your kids would love that if you did that. Great parents are the ones who are home for dinner, read books to their kids before bed and are there to pray with them when they have a bad dream. A great career is spent getting up early, working hard, treating your coworkers with kindness, and doing the right thing even when it's difficult. It all seems so commonplace at the time, but you add it up and you have a remarkable life. I was reading through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and Daniel is one of these classic Bible heroes. I mean, he lived a remarkable life. From chapters 2 through chapter 6, he interprets two dreams. He gets thrown into a lion's den but lives to tell about it. And he becomes one of the leading government officials in the nation of Babylon. It's a remarkable kind of life. But what many people overlook is Daniel chapter 1. You see, in Daniel chapter 1, the Jews were living in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the nation of Babylon invaded. And they took the Jews into captivity to a far distant land. Part of the king of Babylon's plan was he was going to find the best and brightest young men in Israel, and he was going to train them for three years. And at the end of that three-year period of time, they could become advisors in the king's court. And part of this whole program that the king had was they were going to, he was going to feed these young men the best meats and the finest wines from his very own table. But look at what Daniel says in verse 8. It says this, But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. And later we find out it was vegetables and water that he was requesting. Now, I remember reading this for the first time, and I'm thinking, Daniel, what are you doing? Like, here's the king, and he's going fogo de chao on you. And he's like, you want ribeye? You want bacon? You know, wrap flame and yawn? What do you want? And here's Daniel going, hmm, I think I'm going to go to the salad bar, have some Brussels sprouts and bottled water. I mean, what is he on the whole 30? Is this like a health kick that he's doing? Is he a vegan? I mean, what's going on here? Well, back then, the king of Babylon would have been a pagan king. And part of his religious practices, he would have taken the first part of his wine and the first part of his meat and sacrificed it to a false god. That was a sin. It was also a sin to eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol. But you might say, but Daniel, come on. I mean, what? You're in Babylon now. What happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. 
I mean, why do you care about this? You're not harming anyone else by eating the meat and drinking the wine. No one else is going to be bothered by this. Just have one sip. Just have one bite. Everybody's doing it, Daniel. But Daniel understood that oftentimes God will not open up large opportunities until we prove ourselves faithful in small temptations. Sometimes when younger pastors will ask me how I got this job at Eaglebrook Church, I'm tempted to say to them that I stopped stealing candy bars. See, prior to coming to Eaglebrook, I worked at a different church, and we had a youth room that had like a coffee bar area, and we would sell coffee drinks and candy bars to the kids on Wednesday nights. And during the work week, I would rarely bring my own lunch. It's right out of college, way too lazy for that. And so around 11.30, I'd start to get really hungry. And I'd want to go to McDonald's, but I was a youth pastor. So that was kind of out of the price range, right? That was kind of for special occasions. You, you went to McDonald's on your anniversary. It's kind of what you, what you would do. And so at like 11.30, I would just go down to the youth room, and I would grab a Snickers bar. And I used to justify it in my mind. I'd say, you know, come on, they're not paying me much. At least they could do is give me a stipend of candy bars. I thought, you know what, it's not harming anybody else. This isn't bothering anyone. And then one day I was down in the youth room reading on the couch. And my part-time youth worship pastor walked in. He didn't see me sitting on the couch. And he walked over and took a candy bar. And then he walked out of the room. And I sat there and I thought, you thief! Who do you think you are? Those candy bars were bought with people's tithing money. Ever have a moment where you realize that what you're doing is wrong when you see someone else doing the same thing? I never took another candy bar again. Shortly after that, I got the job at Eagle Brook Church, and afterwards I was reading in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus says these words. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I thought to myself, Jason, if you were still stealing candy bars, I'm not sure you would have ever gotten that job. You see, sometimes God will open up large opportunities when we prove ourselves to be faithful in small temptations. Don't need to raise any hands here. But how many of us would say, you know what, I just can't seem to catch a break lately. The breakthrough isn't happening. My wheels are spinning. I would say to you today, search your life. Is there a part of your life where there's a lack of an integrity or a secret sin? Can God trust you with a little? Or are you skimming off the top over here and cutting corners over there? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove what? Must prove faithful. Doesn't say brilliant. Doesn't say popular or gifted. He simply says faithful. A remarkable life is built by a thousand seemingly unremarkable faithful steps. In fact, in our time left today, let me give you three small steps that can lead you to your purpose, that can lead you to a remarkable kind of life. The first one is this. Start where you are. You just got to start where you are. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Zerubbabel, and that's one of my favorite names ever to say, Zerubbabel. But Zerubbabel was trying to rebuild the temple, and he was struggling. He wasn't making much progress, and he felt like a failure. And maybe that's how you feel here today. Maybe there's an area of your life where you go, man, I'm just not where I thought I would be. You know, I'm in my 40s, 
and I'm coming off this painful divorce, and when I look back to who I thought I would be when I was in my 20s, I'm going, how did I get here? Or maybe you're not making progress at work. Or maybe there's an area of your life where you feel like a failure. I want you to hear what the prophet Zechariah says to Zerubbabel, who is feeling that way. He says this, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Friends, you may not be where you want to be, but you are one small start away from moving towards where God wants you to go. You may not feel like you've made much progress. You may feel like a failure, but God is saying to you today, do not despise the small beginning. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. My son Micah last year was in this thing called Math Masters. And Math Masters is this competitive math team. They compete against other schools. It's pretty high-level math. And so when he got to spring break trip, his Math Masters teacher gave him 20 questions to do over spring break, which is really great, right? Everybody just wants to sit on the beach and work on math, I thought. But we were driving down to Florida for spring break, and so Micah, right as we left, he called out from the back seat. And he goes, hey, Dad, how long is it going to take to get down to Florida? I said, well, you know, it's going to take about 20 hours or so. He said, perfect, I'm going to do one question per hour. And he would. He would do one question, then he'd do whatever he wanted, and then when the hour came back around, he would work on another problem. He did that until we got to Florida, and he had finished all 20 of his problems. My wife and I were talking about this, and I said, I never would have done it that way. I would have done all 20 questions right away and then been crabby and irritable the rest of the trip. Sarah said, I wouldn't have done any of the problems. I would have waited until we got home, and then the night before, I would have crammed on the whole thing. I was so inspired by Micah's approach that I started to look at my own life. And I thought, where is it where I'm not making progress, but I just need to start and do something? And I was thinking about working out. See, I used to work out when I was uh, after work. I'd come home and lift weights. But then after a while, my kids got so involved in sports and activities that I really wasn't able to do that much anymore. And so what I started to do is I had this breakthrough thought. I thought something is better than nothing. And so I said, even though I'm not able to work out after work anymore, I'm just going to do 100 push-ups before bed and 100 push-ups in the morning. Now, that's not a ton. That's 200 push-ups a day. But something is better than nothing. And as you can tell, I'm getting ripped. Okay? <laughs> Don't laugh. That wasn't funny at all. Here's my question for you. What is it that you need to start in your life? What is it you just need to start? Some of you say, you know what? I just need to start the book. I've got the idea. I just need to start. I just need to start the project. I just need to start the venture. I just need to start the relationship. I just need to start. I talk to people all the time who have these big, huge Bibles, these big study Bibles, and they go, oh, man, I don't think I could ever read that thing. And I'll say to them, what if you just started reading one chapter a day? If you started in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, and you read one chapter a day, you would finish the New Testament by the end of the year. And that would take you five minutes a day. Just got to start. In fact, if I could, for just a moment, speak to those of you who are in middle school, high school, or college age. I'm in my 30s, which probably seems really old to you, but I've realized something. That the habits I have today in my 30s began when I was between the ages of 12 and 24. If you can't listen to your parents today, 
What makes you think you're going to be able to listen to your boss 10 years from now? If you can't set aside your phone today and just put it in the drawer for five minutes to get your homework done, what makes you think you'll have the work ethic to succeed in a job 10 years from now? And I understand everybody just wants to get a boyfriend and girlfriend and play sports. I get all of that. But the habits that you're developing are much more important. In fact, let me ask you, which teenager, which college age student is going to be more successful in life, do you think? The one who goes out and gets drunk on the weekends? The one who hangs out with kids who pull them away from God? The one who only reads the Bible if they like, are forced to, only prays if they're desperate, only comes to church if they don't have something better going on? The one who can't listen to their parents? Slacks off on homework? Do you think they'll be more successful in their 30s? Or do you think the one who says, I'm going to obey my parents, even when they are so dumb? And I'm going to work on my homework even if I don't feel like it. And I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to come to church. And I'm going to follow God. Which one do you think is going to have a more successful life in their 30s? Now, of course, the answer is obvious. But notice the difference. It's just a few small little habits and disciplines. But you've got to start today. Not tomorrow. Not next weekend after that big party everybody's talking about. You've got to start today. Over Labor Day, I was watching the U.S. Open tennis tournament, and my wife walked by and she goes, oh, 22 years ago to this day, I repented of my sins and turned back to God. I said, what? Because a Roger Federer hit a forehand? Like, what are you talking about right now? She said, the summer before my sophomore year, some friends and I went to something called Milwaukee Fest. I said, well, that was your first problem right there. You never go to something called Milwaukee Fest. <laughs> but they had some bands there like Pearl Jam and Goo Goo Dolls. And she said, I was hanging out with friends who really did not care about God. And they used to steal things for fun. And she said, I took a couple of rings that weekend. She said, when we got home, we went over to my house and my friends sat down and started to watch the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament on TV. And she said, I went upstairs and took a shower. And you know when you're with friends all the time, you just can't think clearly and you kind of start to lose yourself? And so as she got in that shower, she started to think, you know what? This is the first time I've had a moment alone. And she started to pray. She said, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'll never steal anything ever again. And that next weekend, she went, this school started. And that next week, she went to something called See You at the Pole. It's where students gather around their flagpole to pray for their school. And she met this girl there who invited her to come to this Bible study. And she ended up going, meeting new friends, and that's when her life began to change. Think about that. One prayer. One confession of sin. One see you at the poll event. One friend who just reaches out and invites one moment of courage to walk into a Bible study with people that you've never met and don't know. Friends, you are one decision away from changing the trajectory of your life. But you got to start today. You got to start where you are. Here's the second step to take. It's this. Bring fresh energy to old things. Bring fresh energy to old things. Uh, this past spring, I spoke at a church out in Rochester, and uh, it was a great church. I felt right at home, very much like Eagle Brook, except for one thing. 
their nine o'clock service was the traditional service. And the senior pastor asked me that if when I speak, he asked me if I would wear a full suit. Now, I've done weddings and funerals in a full suit, but I've actually never given a sermon wearing a full suit. That would be a little rebellious at Eagle Brook. Like if I came out here and did that, Bob would probably pull me off stage and put me like in a headlock or something. And so here I am down in Rochester wearing my suit and I'm feeling kind of giddy, right? Like I'm being rebellious away from dad for the weekend kind of thing. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? I've already, I'm already off the wagon. I've, I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to do something I've never done before in my entire life. I took a selfie of myself in the bathroom mirror. Never done that before. Now, normally I would say what happens in Rochester stays in Rochester, but here's a picture. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, I never knew taking a photo in the mirror was so hard. The first five times I took it, the phone was right in front of my face. You couldn't even see me. I had to Google, how do you take a selfie in the bathroom mirror? <laughs> and of course, the first one that came up was Kim Kardashian, and I noticed she's got it way off to the side. And I thought, I never knew she was so brilliant. I never knew she was so talented that she could figure that out, how to take a selfie in the bathroom mirror. Now, here's the thing about that picture. If I spoke in a suit every week, you would all see that picture and go, well, why are you showing me that? You speak in a suit all the time. That's, that's no big deal. We get used to stuff. That's kind of how life is. Happens in marriage, by the way. I mean, do you remember the first time that you saw your spouse get undressed in front of you? I mean, it, it felt like there was a light coming down from heaven and the choir was singing, hallelujah, right? <laughs> but now it's been 10 years. And you, you've seen them get dressed in the morning and take a shower, and you've seen them get ready for bed at night. And there's morning breath, and there's bedhead, and there's meat sweats, and there's more flannel pajamas than you ever care to admit. And one day you wake up and you go, well, why, why did the light go off, and why is the choir singing the Beatles' 1968 hit, I'm So Tired? When did that become the song? Now, by the way, real quick, if you are a husband sitting next to your wife and you even have a single cell in your brain, you need to turn to her right now and go, I totally disagree with everything this guy is saying. That's, that's not me at all, okay? You just need to do that. But here's my point. Some people wake up in the morning and they go, man, I guess the only way for me to have a great marriage is to marry someone else. Then I think the choir would start to sing again. Then I think the lights would come back on. Here's what I want to say to you today. You do not need a new marriage. You need to bring some fresh energy to the marriage that you have. Plan a date night. Put a note on the vanity. Hold hands. Pray together. Plan a weekend away with one another. Bring some fresh energy to the marriage that you have. I'm convinced that this is a secret to great leadership, by the way. Great leaders find a way to infuse their organization with some energy. I mean, you think about being an employee. Every day, it's just the same thing. Same alarm clock goes off. You fight the same rush hour traffic. You park in the same parking spot. You walk into the same office building in the same office. You go to the same meetings with the same people, and you talk about the same stuff. Same, same, same. 
great leaders find a way to infuse energy into the same. It's the teacher who brings a level of creativity to a lesson that they've been teaching for two decades. It's the doctor who thoughtfully engages each parent after walking through an examination door they've walked through a thousand times before. It's the gray-haired carpenter who still makes sure that everything is perfectly squared up. Look at what author Jeff Mannion has to say about this. And by the way, Jeff Mannion's book, Dream Big, Think Small, I used it a lot in this message. Great book, highly recommend it. He says this, your greatest impact will be doing the same things with the same people for a long period of time. Isn't that true? But see, what happens to a lot of us is we wake up one day and we go, yeah, but the sparks died out. Is there an area of your life where it feels like the spark has died? An area of your life that you used to be excited about, but these days it's just kind of, eh, I don't really care as much about it. What if you planned a way to bring some fresh energy to that this week? What if you brought some fresh energy to some old things? Here's the third small step to discovering your purpose. It's this. Harness the power of repetition. Harness the power of repetition. This past summer, our family went to Valley Fair. And uh, they've got a new ride at Valley Fair this year. It's called the North Star. Let me show you a picture of the North Star. Those swings are 20 stories up in the air. I didn't say 20 feet. I said 20 stories. That's 200 feet. And they go at a speed of about 40 miles per hour. Now, here's the thing. I had been on most of the roller coasters that day, and I was fine. But I do not like spinning rides. I went on a little spinny ride with my five-year-old son. It was just this little kiddie ride. A minute in, I was in a cold sweat. I mean, I couldn't even, I was like, what? got to get off this thing. So I did not want to go on the North Star. But my wife didn't want to go, and my seven-year-old daughter flashed me her blue eyes and a big smile, and so I'm like, okay, we'll go. So we start going up, and I put my hand kind of on Isabel's arm to just reassure her, hey, dad's here, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but I never took my hand away. It wasn't because of her. She was screaming, wee, this is fun. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. I tried to focus in on one object, you know, but I just kept spinning around in a blur. And I'm looking at these people in crowd below me. And I'm thinking, if I throw up, that cinema bun that I just ate is going to go 200 feet before it hits somebody in the head. When we got done, Isabel goes, oh, I never wanted that ride to end. I said, I did. It's like my favorite part when it ended. Now, here's the thing about the North Star. It, it does the same thing over and over again. It just goes around and around. Its power is found in a continued movement in the same direction. Its power is found in its repetition. You know, drastic change in a person's life rarely happens in one day, right? I mean, if I told you, hey, you know what? I'm going to start eating healthy. I'm eating healthy today. No carbs, no sugar. I'm not going to do that tomorrow or the next day. But I'll tell you what, I'm doing it today. That wouldn't have a lot of impact, would it? Saving one part of one paycheck isn't going to give you much of a savings. Coming to church one time isn't going to probably have a huge impact in your life. Here's why. It's not what we do that marks our life. It's what we repeat. It's not what we do that marks our life. It's really what we repeat. 
So let me ask you, what do you repeat? On a daily, weekly, monthly basis, what are the things that you just regularly do? Some people would think about that question. They'll go, you know what? I spend time with God every day. I read my Bible. I pray. Come to church every week. I, I tithe and I give back generously every single month. Those are some of the things I do on a regular basis. Other people would say, you know, I, I, I drink. I lose my temper. I watch TV. I go to that place. I go do that. And here's what's scary about that second list. You won't notice the change in a day. I mean, none of those things, if you do them for one day, you're not going to notice, oh, wow, look at this change that took place in my life. But over time, they will begin to mark your life. So again, let me ask you, what is it that you repeat on a daily, monthly, weekly basis? What are the things that you regularly do? This is the dad who reads books to their kids every night before bed. I mean, there are times when my kids will come to me and they'll go, hey, I want you to read that book again. I'm like, I don't even have to open that book. I've got it memorized. Why, why is this interesting to you? But that moment of just reading leaves a mark and an impact and a sense of security in that kid's life. This is the person who volunteers on Wednesday nights with students. And every Wednesday night they come and they come home and they go, man, I don't feel like I had an impact in anybody's life. But five, 10 years later, those kids graduate from high school. And you look back and you see how God used you. By the way, I talk to adults all the time who go, you know, I just don't feel like I have a sense of purpose in my job. And I'll say to them, man, there's like a red light beeping. Come volunteer at student ministries. We have small groups where there's girls of 20 girls in a small group. That's not a small group. We need men leaders like crazy. God might want to use you to impact one of those teenagers. And all you got to do is stop off of the next steps area in your lobby. But notice what author Jeff Manning again says about this. He says, greatness is rarely achieved by doing great things, but instead by doing good things repetitively. Greatness is rarely achieved by doing great things, but instead by doing good things repetitively. When I was reading through Mannion's book, he has a question in there. He says, who are the people in your life who have been an example to you of just steady, consistent faithfulness? I wrote down my parents. My parents have been married for 46 years. They lived in the same house for 31 years. And my mom worked at the Federal Reserve Bank for 35 years. My best memories growing up as a kid was my dad pulling me aside as I ran off a basketball court in South Dakota and with tears in his eyes telling me how proud he was of me. It was a breaking up with a girl in high school and having my mom just hug me and hold me and listen to me. What my parents communicated to me over and over again was this, we love you no matter what. We are proud of you no matter what. I wrote down my mentor, Bob Merritt's name. Bob Merritt's been the senior pastor of this church for 26 years. 26 years of staring at a blank computer screen, praying, thinking, writing, something that will help you and your family grow. For years, he used to speak at seven services live. We called it ping pong back at our White Bear Lake campus. He would be speaking in the main worship center while in the upper worship center, worship would be going on. He'd finish here. He'd walk right over here and speak, and then they'd start worship over here, and they'd just ping pong back and forth like that because he wanted to reach more people for Christ. 
Bob and his wife, Lori, have been married for 38 years, and they've lived in White Bear for 26 years. I wrote down the name of my wife. My wife journals out her prayers every single day. She types them out on the computer. She has a Microsoft Word document that is thousands of pages long. Thousands of pages of prayers for me and our family and our kids. Thousands of pages of confessions of sin and declarations of God's goodness. It's no wonder she's the most faith-filled person that I know. That kind of faith gets developed over hours of just sitting and praying to God. She goes to BSF Bible study every week, reads her Bible almost every day. And my point is that great people, great lives are really built behind closed doors. They're built when you begin to develop good habits in your life, and then you repeat those habits on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So here's the question I want to close with. What is the one thing that God wants you to do? What is the one thing that God wants you to start? Don't pick two or three. You'll be tempted to. But just what is the one thing that God might want you to start today? Some of you say, you know what? I need to find an exercise partner. I need to start to plan a date night out for me and our spouse. I need to start to read the Bible on a regular basis or pray to God. I I need to sign up for a missions trip. I need to volunteer in student ministries. I, I need to take a walk at night and just spend some time in prayer. I need to start to give and tithe and give generously to God. But what is that one thing that God is asking you to start doing? You gotta start where you are because a remarkable life is built by a thousand seemingly unremarkable steps. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for how good you are. And sometimes, God, we we just want something big. We want some dramatic breakthrough that's going to turn our life around. But God, maybe today you're saying to us, do not despise the small beginning. God, there might be a little small step that we just know that you want us to start. We just know you want us to take. God, I pray that we can just start where we are and do that right now. God, I pray that we would maybe bring some fresh energy into some old things, that maybe if there's an area of our life that's kind of gotten dull, that you would really inspire us to bring some fresh energy towards that. And, And God, maybe... There are some habits that we need to develop and just repeat on a daily basis. God, every one of us wants to live a life that's pleasing to you. Every one of us wants to live a life that's remarkable in your eyes. I pray that we can begin to develop the habits and the small steps that will take us there. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front, everybody. Otherwise, have a great weekend.